Like Ben says, we're carrying on our Lord's Prayer series. And um, some of you perhaps know me better than others. Um, I was raised in a good Christian Church of England family. And up until I was 20 years old, I attended a Church of England church. Um, And it was only when I came into this building that was a different church at the time, but that I came here that I realized that God was actually real and alive and could impact and change my life. And I went to a Church of England primary school and a Church of England high school, and I was Church of England out. And not to say there's anything wrong with the Church of England, but I said the Lord's Prayer week in, week out. And it's only been as God has come alive in me that I could truly understand that there's actually life within the words of what is said within this prayer, that actually there's a depth within it that I can grasp a hold of. And God, just because he has a wonderful sense of humor and wanted to prove to me that he was alive, he gave me a husband who was that eccentric about being alive that I'm never going to forget about it. So your prayers are appreciated. I am quite reserved and shy. And Paul is exactly the opposite. But that's okay. Because I believe that God wants to show us that he can bring life out of dead places. That where there are words on a page, it can come alive within you. And that something amazing can happen in your life through reading this prayer on a daily basis. And that's what we're believing for. And that's what we're striving to do as individuals and as a church this year. So as Ben said... I've got the line that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So let's just read Matthew 6 and we'll read, we'll read it all through and it's highlighted the bit that I'm looking at this morning. It says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, the Lord's Prayer, when you look at it within Matthew, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is basically when Jesus sits on a little mount and he teaches people for a really long time about how to live a Christian life, how to get better at living your life, how to live a life and do good for other people. And one of the things that happens within that is he teaches us how to pray. The disciples come and ask him and he gives us an outline to prayer. But I think it's really important that we look at the surroundings of that and understand that around that is all about how to live a Christian life and how to be a Christian. So ultimately, prayer is key and part of how we live a Christian life and how to be a Christian. And I think that's something I really want you to grasp hold of this morning. It's so easy to just pray just because we should, and to just pray because we're having a bad day, where it goes, oh God, help. Where we just pray because we don't actually know what to pray, and we say, God, just do something. God, I don't know what to pray, but your will be done. And we throw these comments out, but actually... God wants us to learn how to pray and how to pray in a way that is helpful to us in our Christian life. And prayer is just basically about talking and talking to God. And some of us are better at talking than others and can't shut up, like me when I get up here. (laughs) 
Whereas others of us find it really hard to chat to people. I really struggle when, when I don't know people very well to spend long amounts of time chatting to them. And I've said this to a number of people and I perhaps shouldn't say it on the stage. But when I get onto the weather, I've ran out. I'm struggling now at this point. So when I come and speak to you on a Sunday morning, hello, have you had a nice week? How are you doing? How's that going? Been windy, has it? Help me. I am struggling. There are other people within the church who perhaps talk for a living, who perhaps hairdress and are very good at coming around <laughs> and chatting to you about everything and your dog. I am not this person. I can stand here and talk to you for ages if you want a deep and meaningful conversation about Jesus and the Bible. I can do that if you'd like to come and talk to me about my dog. I will talk to you for ages. Otherwise, when I get to the weather, I am stuck. Is anyone else like that? Has anyone else got the weather as the limit and you think, oh, um, I'm just going to see what my kids are doing now and off I'll run. It's no offence to you, it's my own struggle and my own battle in my shyness and not being able to think, I don't know what else to say to you, I'd really like to chat to you, but I'm struggling because it's just, it's something I have to work hard on. And I think prayer's the same. We sort of come and we pray and we say, oh God, thank you for today, thank you for my children, thank you for my family, thank you for this, thank you for that, can you help me with this tomorrow and bless these people and bless the church and do this and now I've run out now. God wants something deeper from us. He doesn't just want the information. And sometimes we can get so caught up with the information that's in here, with the information that goes about with how are you doing and what's going on here, that actually we don't go any deeper in what we're doing with our prayer. And what I want to encourage you is after today, go away. Write the Lord's Prayer down and leave some gaps after every line and deepen it out. Paul talked last week about our Father in heaven. Go back to your notes on that. Write down some of the key things. God, I really want to grasp a hold of this about how you're my Father. Work your way through it as we go through. Add some depth into your prayer life as we look at the Lord's Prayer. And it will add depth to your relationship with God. It will add depth to your relationship with other people. And it'll add depth, I believe, to you as well. And I said last week as I was leading the meeting that the Lord's Prayer is almost split into six different things. The first three relate to God and who he is and his honour. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All about God and who he is. And if we can catch hold of that and we understand who he is, that's great. But if we, if we actually give him permission to be our father, if we give permission that his name is hallowed and glorified in our lives, if we give permission for his kingdom to come and his will be done, then it adds a completely different dynamic. And if we do those things, I believe, with those first three aspects of the Lord's Prayer, then it will change and revolutionize the second part of the Lord's Prayer. So when it talks about give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, help us to forgive others, lead us not into temptation, all of those different things. If we know who God is, like it says at the beginning, if we've given him permission to be that in our lives, 
then we know that he is a good father who will provide everything we need. Then we know that our sins are forgiven because he sent his son to die on the cross. Because we understand who he is, but because we've given him permission to be that in our lives. And it's one thing understanding, but giving God permission is a whole nother level of allowing him in, bringing change to your life, and having change go on for you. So this morning, what I want you to consider as I talk is, do I know God as my father? Do I know him, that he is this hallowed one? Do I see him as that? Am I in awe of him? Am I allowing his kingdom to come in my life? Because if I am, it will expand my world in a whole way that I've never known. But then if I give him permission, wow, it does something else. So just bear that in mind as we go through the Lord's Prayer. Because I really think that it can help. So I've got three things I want to say to you this morning. And in all honesty, I found it really hard to put this together this morning. Whereas normally I, I can put my structure together, I know what God wants to say, I can dig, some, dig deep into it, and I've fought with it, and I've battled with it, and I felt like I've grabbed the thing and thrown it about, and I've changed it about five times and got really frustrated with it. And then I was just like, God, what do you want to say? What are you trying to say to us? And this is what I believe it is. And it might not be what you think. Because what I originally thought was, I'm going to look at God's kingdom and his kingdom coming. And what does that mean? That's a can of worms, isn't it? I'm going to look at God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And wow, heaven's this place. And whoa, look at earth. How interesting. How does that work? How does that relate? And I was like, that's a can of worms as well. And I battled with it and I fought with it. And then I got back to this. And I thought, if we can understand this, then it doesn't matter when heaven and earth don't always match up. It doesn't matter when God's kingdom just seems like such a world away from where we're living. Because if we can catch this, then we kind of go on a journey to allowing God's kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the first thing I want us to consider is Jesus's intention. What was Jesus' intention when he taught us the Lord's Prayer? Obviously, it was to give us a prayer framework, but he put these things in. What was his intention? What was he trying to say to us? And there were probably many, many things, but I've got three things that I believe Jesus' intention was when he taught us this prayer. First one is this. He intends that we pray. Now, we've talked about this a little bit anyway. And it's dead easy to, in the morning, get up and go, good morning, God, help me with my day. But if it's a daily thing, if it's a daily walk, how much are you inviting the Holy Spirit and Jesus into your day, taking them with you? I found this great quote, and I don't know who it's by, if we can have it on the screen. It says, find a Christian man who does not pray is like finding a living man who does not breathe. Prayer is the life that comes into you. It washes you, it restores you, it allows everything to work within you, just like oxygen when it comes in, it gets in your blood, it does all things that in your anatomy that I don't understand, but it makes your body work and it makes it work well. In the same way, if we pray, 
then it comes into us and into our spiritual person. It enlightens us. It gives us strength. It keeps us going. It gets everything working that should be working. So the more we pray, the more alive we can be. I'm not saying prayer's easy. Prayer can be hard work. Prayer can just be like, oh, I forgot to do that today. Anyone else? It's just me then. (laughs) Well, sometimes it's not easy to pray. We have to remind ourselves. But I believe if we can build it in on a daily basis, we can build it in, even if we do it in a way where we're forcing it in at some point until it becomes that habit, until it sort of works itself into our daily lives that we bring prayer in because it will bring life to who you are. Jesus intends that we pray because he says in verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray. He expects that we pray because he knew how important his prayer life was when he was on earth. It says he took himself away and he prayed because he knew that he couldn't do it without God. He couldn't do it without that intimacy. He couldn't do it without that relationship. If you feel dry, if you feel lost, if you've never even started on a journey with God, if you feel like your life's falling apart, if you feel like you've been a Christian such a long time and just, there's just no words for it, then the answer in the simplest form is pray. And pray and keep praying and keep praying because it builds your relationship. It builds the love. It builds the trust. It builds the support. Just like when we relate to one another, if we don't talk to one another, then the relationship will never grow. So Jesus' first intention is that we pray. His second one, I believe, is this. He intends that we seek first the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, 33, it says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, it talks so much about the kingdom of God. And it's almost, it's like the kingdom of God is now because Jesus has been. It's now and it's here and it's among us. And yet, it's not quite yet. There's still fulfillment of it going on. There's still things in our lives where we've got to allow more of God in. There's there's still a working going from glory to glory until we finally reach God in heaven. And yet... If we seek his kingdom first and we lay aside all else, then everything else will come to us. Everything else that we need, everything else that we desire, God knows. Seek first his kingdom. Jesus intends that his kingdom comes above and beyond anything that we want. And as that happens, then everything that we need will come to us anyway. The third thing I believe Jesus is trying to tell us is this. He intends that we submit our will. That's not an easy thing, is it? I don't know about you, but the more time I spend with people, the more time I spend with my family and with my kids, the more I see people in life in general, 
we find it so hard to submit our will and what we want. And there's so many things about on, our, on raising children in a good way, and especially when you have spirited children. They're really interesting. Because the, the line of thought is that you, you encourage them, but you don't break them. And it's really hard to find that fine line between encouraging a slightly wild child into being a child who understands what is right and wrong, but not crushing the spirit within them. That's not an easy thing. But a lot of it is about surrender. It's about them surrendering their will to do what they want to do. When they want to go to bed at 8 o'clock and not 7 o'clock, mummy. I want to stay up and watch Ant and Dec Saturday night take away all of it. And I promise I will go to bed really nicely and not lie on the landing naked and not put my pyjamas on. <laughs> and that's just Paul. <laughs> it's not really going to be in trouble. It's hard to submit your will. We had a dog. <sighs> what are they about? It chased me around the living room to the point when we first had it that I was afraid to get off the settee. Me and Olivia would sit on the settee like this. And if we put our legs down, it would attack us. And it hurt. And it had sharp teeth. And the dog has had to surrender its will. And there was a point where I said to Paul, I'm really getting into this. The dog is doing as I tell it. And then we take it out of the house. And it sees another dog. And it is excited and wants to play. It makes a really high-pitched noise to tell everybody about it. And just don't stop. And it hurts my ears and everybody everybody's ears so now when I walk the dog me and Olivia go at quarter to seven because nobody is about <laughs> and it does as it's told but there are no other dogs walking but it still does as I say but it's hard to surrender your will it's hard when you get into a relationship with your friends they want to do something you think oh, I don't know whether I should you think do I surrender my will to them or do I surrender it to what God's calling me to do when you're in a relationship and your other half says you know let's have sex before marriage who do you surrender your will to do you surrender it to your partner or do you surrender it to God who is telling you what to do and what the right thing to do is there are so many aspects where there are things in life that want us to surrender our will to them. People who want us to surrender our will to them. And yet God says, surrender your will to me. Because if you do, everything will be added to you if you put my kingdom first. And it's a daily thing. It's not just a one-hit wonder where we come to the front and say, God, I surrender my will to you for the rest of my life doesn't work like that it's hard work on a daily basis it was hard work for Jesus on a daily basis we see Jesus in Gethsemane just before he dies and this is the prayer that he goes away and prays if we can look at it then he said to them my soul is very sorrowful even to death remain here and watch with me 
And going on a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Those moments where everything within you doesn't want to surrender your will, find that nevertheless within you. Find the nevertheless. It's there. Find it. Grab hold of that nevertheless. Not my will, God, but your will be done. It's a daily thing. Jesus, the Son of God, still had to surrender his will. So if Jesus had to do it, how much more do we need to find that nevertheless and surrender our will on a daily basis? It's also a furtherance of God's course and not ours. So often we can think, oh, you know, I've got a great idea. I've got a great plan. I've got a great, great vision for what can happen. But it's not about our course of action. It's about God's. And we see that with John the Baptist in John 3, verse 30. Have we got the scripture? And he says, and this is what John says to his disciples talking about Jesus. He must increase but I must decrease. If we can daily surrender, and if we can consider that God's way needs moving forward more than our way needs moving forward, then I believe we can understand what Jesus' intention was in helping us to submit our will. I really believe the Lord's Prayer is about understanding what Jesus was trying to say as he said it. And it's a trust thing. It's all about trust. It's all about trusting that if I let go, will God sort it all out? And trust can be a strange thing. You know, when you trust your sister at six years old and she's about eight to cut your fringe. What my mother did to it afterwards. It was short after the angle that went on. Don't trust my sister very much with scissors anymore. But trust, it swings to the point where my mommy was in critical care a few months ago and the doctors who came along and they ventilated it and saved her life, a whole different level of trust from the fringe incident went on. And we can trust people at different levels People can betray our trust. People can earn our trust. People can hope for our trust. But what we need to know is that no matter what has happened here on earth with people, there is a God who you can trust, who will never let you down, who will never forsake you, who may do things in a way that you didn't think it would work, but actually shows how things can work out when you put your trust in him. If we trust in Jesus, then I believe that we can work through those intentions that he had for us. So if that's Jesus' intention, the next thing I want to talk about is what is our intention? And I think really what we need to come down to is what is my kingdom or what kingdom am I a part of? Am I a part of God's kingdom? Yeah, maybe fully. Maybe in part I am, but there may be other kingdoms within my life 
that are trying to take control. And if there are kingdoms that are in our lives or that we submit to, then we need to consider, what do I need to surrender and which kingdoms must I leave? And I'm talking about things like loneliness. I'm talking about things like shame. I'm talking about self-promotion, fear, relationships, our family, guilt, money, sickness. All of these things can build kingdoms within our lives that dictate to us and allow us to do what they say because that is the kingdom that we are a part of. And I want you to ask yourself this morning, what kingdoms rule and reign in my life? What kingdoms rule and reign in my heart? What kingdoms rule and reign in my mind? Because if I can identify them and recognize that fear is a kingdom in my my life or shame is a kingdom in my life, then I can submit it to the will of God. I can surrender it to him and his kingdom can come in and rule and reign instead where I'll be set free from fear where I'll be full of grace, where things will no longer have a grip on me, but I can live in freedom and love because that's what God's kingdom is full of. And the kingdom of God comes in measures to us as we surrender our lives to Christ, as as we're healed, as we're delivered, as we're set free in any way or moment where we're in contact with or have a touch from God then God's kingdom comes in our life in a new way. So can I encourage you, surrender those kingdoms that have a hold of you. Submit them to God. Allow God to come in and heal and restore you because as he does, his kingdom is coming in your life and his will is being done. You know, if heaven is a place of joy, and rest, and peace, and goodness is a place where God is, and we look for it to be the same on earth. And yet so often, I see in my own life that it's not. God's kingdom has not always come in my life when I shout at my kids, or when I'm unkind to them, when I think nasty things, when I chunter under my breath at that driver who's just cut me up, forgetting that I did it to someone else on the co-op car park earlier. If that was you yesterday, I do apologize. I was trying not to run a lady over. God's kingdom has not fully come in my life. But I want it to. I want his kingdom to come in my life. I want the kingdoms that hold on to me of fear and guilt and all these things to be subject to him and his kingdom. I want love and grace to flow in me like never before. And it doesn't, and it frustrates me. And I think, God, what do I do? And so I read a couple of scriptures, and there's many of them, that talk about the kingdom of God. The first one, from Matthew 13, 31, and it says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds can come and perch in its branches. It grows. 
You've got to allow God to put a seed of love, a seed of grace, a seed of trust, a seed of kindness, a seed of passion, a seed of freedom within your life. And then you've got to allow it time to grow. And keep watering it and allow it time to grow. And as it does, then you will actually find that your life suddenly is beneficial to other people. That you can provide shade, just like it talks about the birds will come and perch in it. It provides a home and shade for others. Your life can do that if you allow God's kingdom to grow within you. That you can then be a place where others can come for rest, where others can come and find a home, where people who don't know Jesus can come and find a safe place. Matthew 13, 33 says this, another parable. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Now we know what happens when you put yeast in dough, don't we? It grows. It grows. Allow God to place his kingdom within you and then it will grow. It will supplant the other kingdoms within you. If you water it and you pray and you read your Bible because they are all the things that cause the kingdom to grow within us. You know, when I was at high school, I went to St. Peter's when it was in Penkel. And I used to catch the bus and there was a bus that ran along Leak Road past here and went all the way past, up, past where the hospitals were and it dropped us just outside um, the school and I used to catch that bus my sister had caught that bus I caught it with my sister until she left and I caught that bus till I was about 14 and I really didn't enjoy my journey to school sometimes you would end up on the floor as you do on buses when they go around bends and you've not got a seat and that's just part of the fun of it but when we got a little bit closer to school we were probably just the bus stop before where we actually got off there was a gentleman who got on and he was an extremely large gentleman. He was, he was severely obese. And there were some other kids from school who were on that bus and namely a lad who sat at the back who was perhaps a year older than me. And the gentleman would get on the bus. You could hear them sniggering because of this gentleman's excess weight. And he would pay his fare and I would sit in dread for the next moment because I wanted the ground to swallow me out of sheer embarrassment and shame of what this lad was about to do. And it is quite comical if you like that sort of thing, but for me, it was like I wanted something to just eat me. And as the man took his seat at the front, you can guess what he did, just as he sat down, the lad at the back every day, boing! He didn't do it quietly. He did it that loudly. The whole bus heard. I'm surprised that nobody ever said anything. The bus driver never said anything. The man, poor man, never said anything. There was other adults on the bus. They never said anything. I never said anything. And I hated that journey because of that one moment. And I was always so glad to just get off the bus and run into school. And you know, sometimes it takes us to be uncomfortable with something for change to be produced in our lives. And that's not a bad thing. And so about 14, 
I started catching a different bus to school. But you know what? You could say, oh, that's great, you know, you changed, you did something different. But it was the wrong change. It was the wrong kingdom that led me. It was a kingdom of fear and shame within me that caused me to change. Because if the kingdom of God had been bigger in me, even at 14, 15 years of age, I should have stood up and said, will you stop doing that? That is extremely rude. But because I was too afraid, and because the lad in the year above me was quite a scary lad as well, I did nothing. And I changed what I did with my life and caught a different bus because of the wrong kingdom that ruled within me. And very often we'll say, you know, we get uncomfortable and God can cause us to be uncomfortable and so things change within us and so we produce change and we change what we do or where we are or who we relate to. That's so true. God can cause us to become uncomfortable and we can get a new job or do different things. But be careful that the wrong kingdom does not cause change to happen within you. That you don't stand up for what is right. You don't stand up against injustice and against the things that are wrong just because of your own kingdom of fear and shame within you, just like I did. And I feel like going and catching that bus some days and getting on it and telling people off, but those people are long gone. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning because I think it's really true that there are things that can, that can direct our lives that actually shouldn't just because it makes things easier for us. So the final thing I want to say to you this morning We've looked at Jesus' intention. We've looked at our intention. So let's look at God's intention because he's the mastermind behind the whole thing. And I believe God's intention is relationship restored. God is desperate to have relationship restored with us, with me, with you. He is desperate to be in relationship with you. And if he is in relationship with you, that's wonderful. But you know what? He wants more. He wants it to go deeper. He wants more of your life. He wants his kingdom to come and his will to be done in your life in a way that it has never been done before because he wants to go into deeper relationship with you. In the Old Testament of the Bible, there's a prophet called Isaiah. And in Isaiah 6, he has this encounter with God and he talks, it talks about in the year that King Isaiah died, that, that Isaiah saw this vision of heaven and had this intimate connection with God like he'd never known before. And then we see many, many chapters later, that was Isaiah 6. But in Isaiah 64, it says this, Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. And it goes on to say what God would then do. Isaiah was desperate again for that fulfillment, that closeness of relationship like he'd experienced in Isaiah 6. He was after the plans and the promises of God. We all need to get to a place where we have that oh moment just like Isaiah did in Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would burst from the heavens and come down. 
Have you got that oh within you that is desperate and is in response to that relationship that God desires with you? God desires an open heaven above you so that he can come down and relate to you in a way that you've never experienced before. In Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51, as Jesus died on the cross in Jerusalem, this is what happened. When Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. At that moment, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. When Jesus died on the cross, there was a veil in the temple that was torn. The veil in the temple was what separated the place where no one was allowed to go apart from the high priest once a year. It separated that place from just us, everybody else. But when Jesus died, he provided a way that we no longer had to be separate from God that he tore it down and said, enough is enough, you're all coming in. And we see him explain it to a man called Nathaniel in John 1, 50, before he passed away. If we've got that scripture. It says, Jesus said to him, that's Nathaniel, do you believe just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. Then he declared, truly, truly, I say to all of you that you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And this, this scripture confused me for quite a while. I was like, I don't really get it. Why are the angels coming up and down and landing on top of him? I was like, not very bright about it. And then I realized that Jesus was the ladder that connected heaven and earth. Jesus was the one who connected us back to God. Jesus was the one who took us by the hand and said, come with me and let me take you to Father again. Jesus was the one who said, anything that has been built up in your life, I am ripping it down and it never has to be there again. And he wants to tear the veils of the kingdoms in your life. He wants to rip them aside. He wants to provide a ladder from wherever you are at. No matter how far away you feel from God. No matter how deep and dark the place is. Jesus has got one of them multi-extendable ladders. And he is coming for you because he says you are never too far away. It is never too dark. It is never too deep. But I will provide a way for you back to your father in heaven because God's intention when he sent Jesus God's intention when he calls us to pray that prayer is that relationship will be restored it's all about the our father which is why Jesus started the prayer with it the whole of the Lord's prayer hinges on our Father. Because if we understand that He is our Father, then we understand that He loves us and He's chasing us down and He's coming after us. We understand that He sent His Son Jesus to die on a cross for us so that we no longer have to be hidden in darkness, but we can come back to Him. So, what do we do? There's got to be something more than where you're at right now. There's got to be something more than where I'm at right now. So let's dig deeper. 
Let's hunger and thirst. Let's pray that Lord's Prayer on a daily basis. Let's spend this time of fast and devotion, reading the Bible and seeking God and asking for a deeper level of relationship. And relationships aren't easy. They take time. They take effort. They take patience and kindness and forgiveness and generosity. You've got to dig in deep. You've got to allow that kingdom to grow within you. And you know, we've taught this morning about intentions. But intentions must become a reality. Because unless they do, they're just good intentions. Our daughter Grace has um, had a number of issues with her eyes. And I went to see the optician that she's under a couple of months ago. And he wasn't happy. Her eyesight had changed again. And he said, it changes an awful lot. He said, and because of the gap, I didn't understand this, please forgive me, I'm not the brightest. Because of the gap between your eye and the glasses, it allows your eyesight to change, apparently. So we were just stuck in this dilemma, and he said, I have a plan A, but I don't think you're going to like it. So I just went into panic mode and thinking, he wants to operate, no more surgery. For those of you who don't understand, Grace had major surgery a couple of years ago. So I'm like, I was like, I can't cope with any more surgery. And he was, he was, I didn't say that to him, but he said, I want Grace to try some nocturnal contact lenses. I was like, what are they? And they're contact lenses you wear at night, hence the nocturnal contact lenses. And he said, so, and so I was like, okay, so I don't understand does she wear her glasses then in the day? He said, no, she wears the nocturnal contact lenses every night. And then during the day, she can see perfectly with nothing in her eyes. I'm like, magic? I just don't get it. And he explained it to me and I still didn't really get it. And then he explained it again. And I think I get it a little bit more now. And because the lens sits on the eye, it manipulates the eye to where it should be. And so that will then last during the day. And so she puts them in at night and she takes them out in the morning and she wears no glasses or no contact lenses during the day. So we started this process last week and she puts her contact lenses in at night, takes them out in the morning and then during the day, she can see. She has no lenses, she has no glasses. It's magic, I don't really get it, but but you know, what I'm trying to say to you is, it's the things that go on behind the scenes. It's the things that happen in the dark when no one else is there. Those are the things that change our lives. Those are the things that give us clarity of vision. Those are the things that help us to truly see. Because when we say the Lord's Prayer on a daily basis while we're at home, when we read the Bible and do our Bible reading plan on a daily basis while we're at home, it gives us vision then for what God is calling us to. It gives us vision to see clearer than we've never seen before. Because it's the things that we do in the dark it's the things that we do when no one else is watching that actually bring transformation and change to our lives. That actually cause us to see in a way that we've never seen before. That actually cause us to see the things in our lives that need supplanting and the kingdom of God needs to come in. So practically, what do we do? 
You may sit and say, that's all very well and good, but what do I do? So I've put you a few practical things down. Practically, endeavour with the daily. Work on that relationship. Allow that ladder that Jesus is to come into your life and set you free and take you back to the Father. Endeavour to cultivate God's kingdom within you. Like we said, it doesn't happen overnight. It's got to grow within you. Allow it to grow within you. And finally, endeavour to be greater. This year we said we're going to endeavour as individuals and as a church to be greater. To put more in. And you know, to be greater in God's kingdom, we've got to be the servant of all. So can I encourage you this week? Look where you can serve. Look who you can help. Look who you can share the gospel with. Look where you can, you can have a missional mindset in what you do. And I believe as we do those things, then Jesus' intention, our intention, and God's intention come into line and can become a reality.